Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Good. Um, is it that we're reading from the book of Revelation? Is it that we're talking about anti-racism stuff? Yeah, I figured if, if uh, Revelation's hard for people and talking about white supremacy is hard, we might as well put them together and just get it all done with, right? Um, so let us start today with prayer. Holy and gracious God, open our eyes to the reading of this scripture, not as a historical document, not as a document of future telling, but as pictures and images of what can be. Open our hearts to your calling and leading. Open our minds and calm our fears that we might walk and talk in the way that you show us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, do you all have a like silly story that you whip out um, when you have to do like a church icebreaker and they tell you to say something interesting about yourself? Or, yeah, do you know what I'm talking about? No? Okay. Uh, so one of my like little stories that I get to share um, to, to be interesting um, is that I got to be Reggie Redbird, the Illinois State University mascot. And, I mean, isn't that cool? Okay, I, yeah, see? Thank you. Um, now, I can't tell you how it all happened. That's a whole other story that involves a giant life-size peanut imminent, or a, a human-sized peanut M&M and a basketball game and other stuff. But the point is, I got to be Reggie Redbird um, uh, for quad days in the spring of my sophomore year in college. I got to put on the big bird boots that had the, like, bird feet, you know, and the furry, they were supposed to be feathers, but it was like furry pants and, and shirt with the wings hanging down and the gloves so that I could do the thumbs up like Reggie Redbird does. And um, then I got to put on this big cardinal, in case you didn't know that Reggie is a Redbird, he's a cardinal, uh, this big cardinal mask that uh, was made up of like chicken wire, it was really strong, and it, would, like, it sat on my shoulders, and um, there were eye holes so I could see out. It was really cool. Um, and so my purpose that afternoon was simply to go all around the quad to create ISU spirit. Easy enough, right? So I gave hundreds of high fives and hugs and thumbs up, and I soon learned the magic of this mask that I was wearing, that I could do anything I wanted because it wasn't me, 
right? It was Reggie, so I could sneak up behind people and tap them on the shoulder. Like, I would never do that with, right? Who, who would do that? A creep. Um, but Reggie could do it. And I was doing those, like, where you, I can't do it now because I'm too old, but like you run and you kick to the side, you know, and that was really cool. And um, I, yeah, just all sorts of stuff. It was really fun. I was shaking my tail feathers because, you know, that's one of the songs we played in the big red marching machine, the band that I was in when I was in college. I was really cool. And uh, <laughs> I was full of bravado, right? This just like, this is great. I can do anything. And so for my final act at the end of quad days, I thought it would be amazing to do a somersault. And so I got my running start, and I tucked my head in, and I flipped, and my legs went up in the air, and then they just kind of hung there, <laughs> up in the air. Because, you know, the redbird has that kind of ridge head, and I just couldn't make the hump over, you know? <laughs> so I slowly fell back down, <laughs> and suddenly all of that bravado, suddenly all of that... Um, safety and cover that this mask offered me was gone, and I was the third grade gymnastics dropout little kid, right? And as I reflect back on that day, I see that that Reggie mask, it gave me permission to be engaged in the world in a way that was I was not naturally prone to. It allowed me to act as if I was something more than a sophomore in college with an existential crisis about what I was going to do with the rest of my life, right? We've all been there, yes. Some of us are there now, yes, yes. Uh, so for that couple of hours, my dressing up as Reggie allowed me to mask all of my vulnerabilities and uncertainty about who I was and just be this like ferocious power if a bird can be powerful, um, superstar mascot. It was amazing, and it wasn't real life. <laughs> real life um, is full, as you might, may or may not know, I think you probably do, it's full of angst and pain and uncertainties. It's full of people injuring us, wounding us. It's full of scars, yes, and the Christian life, I think, when we look at a scripture like today, is about removing those masks that we use to protect and hide ourselves, that we use out of protection. The Christian life is about patterning, patterning our actions, our being after the life and person of Jesus is about submitting and, and knowing that that is how we found sal find salvation, by submitting to the life of Jesus. And the life of Jesus, as we see in the scripture passage today, is full of vulnerability and pain. It is um, the life of a slaughtered lamb which is really hard to hear, yes? Uh, see, is, even Israel, like, it's hard for us to hear now. It was hard for Israel to hear. Um, they expected the Messiah to be someone who was going to be strong and powerful, a military leader that would kick the rear end. I want to make sure, um, yeah, we've got children present. They would kick the rear end out of people and take names. 
And so we even see this exception set up in our scripture passage today. John, uh, John of Patmos says something like, hey, don't worry, the Lion of Judah is going to come and open this scroll. The Lion of Judah will do it. And then what happens is this little lamb, that's, the scripture calls it little lamb, so not even just a lamb that's innocent, but like a baby lamb. Like Mary had a little lamb. This little lamb who has been slain is who becomes worthy of opening up the scroll. This little lamb is a rejection of the image of power coming from someone like a lion that would conquer. It's a reminder to us that God chose to be vulnerable. We say this at at Advent every year and enter into the world as a helpless, vulnerable baby. And that God left this world as a half-naked, vulnerable man dying on a cross while people cheered. To live a life for Jesus is to know that we will suffer. To know that we have to be vulnerable. To live a life of Jesus means that we know that power doesn't come from conquering, but it comes from being a little lamb. Worthy is the slaughtered lamb, our scripture says, to receive power, wealth, wisdom, and might, and honor, glory, and blessing. And so I say, worthy are we when we pattern our life after Jesus. Worthy are we when we are brave enough to be vulnerable in a world of sin and evil. Now, that's really great to think about. Be vulnerable. Go forth and be vulnerable. Harder to live out, yes? Because we live in a dog-eat-dog world, or if we want to go with our scripture, a lion-eat-lion world. Uh, We live in a world where power does, we think it does come from domination and not vulnerability. Our message is, that message is so infused in our culture that unless we are super intentional and uh, reflective about practicing vulnerability, we're just swept up into it. You know the time when I'm most lion-like? I'm just going to be really vulnerable here. When I'm driving my car, I'm not very nice. Working on it. When are you most lion-like? Shout some out. When are you most lion-like? On the red line. <laughs> Moving furniture. Moving furniture. Right after I wake up. Right after you wake up. Arguing with family member. And when we're lion-like, we put that mask on. And we pretend that we're not this vulnerable person who's been harmed in the world. 
and we come out swinging because we think that's how we're going to change things. We think that's what it takes to survive in this world. We are all these little lambs trying to live in a lion world. And so I wonder what it would look like if we could remove our masks. What would it look like to practice that in this community, in a world that tells us that's absolutely ridiculous? Back about five years ago, when I was um, doing the Crossroads anti-racism training for the first time, um, they introduced us to the practice of caucusing, uh, which means that we broke up into two groups. We segregated along lines of race, essentially. We broke up into one group of white folks and to one group of people of color. And when they introduced this idea, first of all, caucusing is a very political word. It, it sound, it's kind of triggering. And so when they introduced this idea of caucusing to me, every uh, muscle in my being was like, why are we doing this? We're supposed to be tearing down walls and you're, you're segregating us. Why would we do this? Luckily, I didn't have to say anything out loud because other people voiced that instead. Um, and the instructors acknowledged that it seemed counterintuitive to do it, but that um, if, if we would just trust them, we would see what it was about. There were other folks who were concerned too. I remember one woman uh, is, uh, that was going through it, she was biracial. And she said, you're making me choose between my mom and my dad. And the instructor acknowledged that that would feel very hard too, but it wasn't about choosing between parents. It was about naming and acknowledging the way that society perceived her. Did they see her as a person of color or did they see her as someone who's white? And so then she was able to make that choice. The stickiest point was this white guy with dreads. You can see where this is going. Um, this white guy with dreads who served a black church and he said, uh, you know, I gave up all my privilege to serve this church and so I need to sit in the caucus of color. Um, and so he was gently encouraged with a 20-minute conversation outside in the hallway. Um, I don't know what was said, but when he came back, he was part of the white caucus. So once we finally sat down in the caucus group, I began to understand why it is so important. I'm going to share with you out of my own experience as a white person I'm going to share a little bit in a moment about what I've heard people of color talk about caucusing, but um, I want to be sensitive that I, since I'm not a person of color, I don't want to um, speak on behalf of that community. Because that would be really arrogant. So as a white person... I found caucusing to be a place where I could take my lion mask off. When talking about race, my lion mask consists of defensiveness, shame, guilt. Hmm, anything else? I think those are the big three. 
And to be in a community with other people who experienced that too, it became a safe place. It was a place for me to begin the lifelong work of unpacking my own IRS, which um, is, I'll, I'll sort of name, it's, it's a complex, uh, multi-generational socialization process. IRS is an internalized racist superiority. It's this complex, multi-generational socialization process where I have learned and every other person who is white has learned that, um, that um, we have learned to accept believe and live out that we are the superior race. Um, and, and by doing that, uh, we normalize the behaviors, and that is what creates white supremacy. So sometimes people are like, oh yeah, the KKK, that's white supremacy, I'm against it. But what I'm talking about is all of those, like, white supremacy is a triggering word, right? Um, because we think it's the KKK. But when I say it, I'm talking about all of the ways that um, contribute to, to society in society to make me think that I am superior because I'm white. Has anybody heard this term before? Okay. I hear I, some people look kind of shocked and have questions, so we can talk afterwards too. So this was a place where I could find safety in accepting that. Because, you know, nobody wants to accept that. Nobody wants to say, oh, yeah, I do feel I'm superior because I've been socialized that way. You want to deny it, right? But so this became a place where I could practice naming what's really underneath. It also became a place to be nudged, right? It's not okay that I stay in that place. So it became a place of accountability where my uh, white allies can say, Brittany, what are you gonna do? How are you moving forward in this? It was a place of vulnerability, y'all. And when we came back together, uh, when we came back together, we reported to one another. And it wasn't a detailed report. They didn't stand up and say, Brittany confessed this to the entire group. It was more broad brush strokes, like um, the White Caucus is dealing with IRS, and these are the ways that we've seen it manifest, right? And from my People of Color Caucus sisters and brothers, I heard them in their removing of their lion mask struggling with IRO, which if you know what IRS is, IRO is the opposite. It's again a complex, multi-generational social process, socialization process that has taught people of color to accept, believe, and live out all of these negative societal definitions of self-worth. And so the work in that caucus is to believe that that's not true right? It is a place of safety and accountability. And I don't think y'all, I mean, I'm on the way and I can stand up here and tell you that that's where I am, right? But most people, like when you're starting out in this work, you can't just like stand up and say, 
this is what I'm doing, right? And particularly white folks, we don't want people of color to take care of us in this. That's not their work. And so caucusing becomes a place where we can do that work and become strong allies for one another. This is the work of vulnerability, y'all. Caucusing, taking off our lion masks and being vulnerable with really what's underneath the surface. John of Patmos, the author of Revelation, reminds us that this is how God's power works in this type of vulnerability. And this is what caucusing allowed us to do. So I tell you this story because in a couple of weeks, well, so on October 20th, in the e-news that'll go out on Friday, will be the 30-page audit that our team has been working on for nine, 10 months, 30 pages. I know you guys are gonna do on Friday night. <laughs> then that Sunday after worship on October 22nd, after the second service, we're gonna have an all community gathering and we're gonna uh, listen to how this audit was put together, what were the processes that we used, what were the documents that we examined. Um, all of this is so that we can examine who we are as U at UVC and try to pull out, try to move in this process of salvation to eliminate, to, to chop down, to uh, perfect and um, rid ourselves of the white supremacy that's in our system. So we're gonna listen to that, and then here's what I want you to do. Go home with that report and pray. Go home with that report and read it again. Go home with that report and ask God, God, where are you calling me to live out this work in this church? God, how can I help build up the body of Christ so that it is a place of all nations and all people? God, what would you have me do in this community? This uh, report's gonna come up with eight recommendations, and it would be really nice if they were like, chick, 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 chick. all right, we're done, but it's gonna be lifelong work that we're up to. And so where is God calling you to take off your lion mask and live as a lamb to do some of this work? It's gonna be hard. I've, I, you know, I'm always suspect of people that say when I, uh, when I gave my life to Jesus, my life got better because I've only found that it's gotten harder. <laughs> That's what the gospel calls us to is more difficult journey. To live as a vulnerable lamb in a world of lions. And so this is going to be hard work, but we are after creating a community that is about showing us the fullest image of God, about who we can be. And we can only do that when we begin in vulnerability. It is only in vulnerability that we can be moving in this process of salvation, which we're all working toward, individually and collectively as a body of Christ, to bring about freedom, authenticity, and wholeness for all. So may we do this work, y'all. May we do this work to the glory of God.
Amen.